Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make sure you're aware of a few things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks at Hope Church LV, and also be sure to check out our website at hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're going as a church. Once again, thank you so much for checking out this sermon at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. A lot of people look at Hope Church, and maybe you're new, maybe you came in for the first time today, and what what you see is a large, you look at a room like this, it's full, it's packed, a large, mature church. But what you really got to know about Hope Church is that we are just a teenager, right? We're just 17 years in, and I don't know if any, how many of you have raised teenagers, but you know what it's like to raise teenagers. They look like and sound like adults, right? But there's still a lot of development that needs to happen. That's pretty much Hope Church. We're, we're a teenager. We look like and sound like an adult, mature church, but there's a lot about us that's still in process, a lot about us that's still developing as a church family. But in the midst of that, in the midst of us still learning, there's one lesson that we have learned, no doubt, in our first 17 years. And here it is. When, when we seek God in prayer, we experience God in power. And the point of that lesson for us is that there's a direct link between God's activity among us and our pursuit of Him in prayer. I can't explain everything I understand and know and have experienced about that. None of us can. God is sovereign. God is in control. God has ordained everything that takes. But at the same time, what we understand from Scripture is that God moves in response to the prayers of his people. It's somewhat like the series that we looked at last fall together for a few weeks. We talked about how God fuels his mission through his church. God doesn't need us, but God has divinely orchestrated it so that the way the mission of God is fueled through the church is through the generosity of his people. Everything that we have, you remember the series, from, two, through, four, everything we have comes from the Lord. It's given to his people. We have a responsibility to steward what he's given to us. As we do that, one expression, as we live generously, and as we generously give, God fuels his mission through his church. In the same way, that God fuels his activity through his people as they give, God accomplishes his activity through his people as they pray. The longer that I walk with the Lord personally and the longer that I have the privilege of shepherding his people, I am convinced that God moves when we pray. God moves when we pray. One of my favorite writers that has impacted my life profoundly is a man by the name of Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray was a South African pastor. And if you can read any book by Andrew Murray, I encourage you to read it. There's not a bad one. They're all great. Uh, I've read many of his books. But one of his books is called The Secret of Intercession. 
And he so summarizes this principle that I want you to grab this morning. Here's what he says. God rules the world and his church through the prayers of his people. Now, now just stop right there for a minute. This is a pastor who walked with God, served the Lord many, many, many years on another continent, was used all over the world. His writings have survived his life and still are read all over. And listen to what he said. After years of walking with God, here's what he understood. God rules the world and his church through the prayers of his people. I don't know about you, that's, that's incredibly encouraging and deeply convicting all at the same time. Maybe, just maybe, one of the reasons our nation is where it is today is because we're not a people who seek God desperately in prayer. And so we're not seeing God move in some ways because we're not calling out on him in prayer. Listen to what he goes on to say. That God should have made the extension of his kingdom to such a large extent dependent on the faithfulness of his people in prayer is a stupendous mystery and yet an absolute certainty. Here's what he's saying. I don't understand it, but I'm just telling you it's how God works. I can't explain it. I can't understand it. I can't comprehend it, but I am sure that God works through his people when they pray. God calls for intercessors. In his grace, he has made, get this, he has made his work dependent on them. He waits for them. There's so much in that teaching by Andrew Murray that, that resonates in my soul that I need to spend some time thinking about. Not that God needs us, but God has made it. He's chosen to make his work dependent on his people as they pray. Here's why I'm reminding us of this. Last Sunday, we began to look at a passage of Scripture in the book of Ephesians. If you have it, I want you to open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul is in the middle of a passage of Scripture here where he breaks out in prayer for these people. And Paul is teaching us about prayer through these verses. And last weekend, we began to study what Paul was saying about prayer, and we began to pray together. Last weekend, we had a, an opportunity to pray and cry out to God. And the only way I know how to describe what we experienced last weekend was a special visitation from the Lord. Man, I'm just telling you, if you weren't here last weekend, I feel sorry for you. I really do. Man, we saw God move in power last weekend. So much so, we, we opened the altars, people came, they prayed, we had a move, people cried out to God, and man, God began to move in people's lives. By the end of last Sunday, I had already received messages or seen messages via text, email, I'd seen them on social media of the powerful activity of God in people's lives. By the time I got home from the fourth service last Sunday, I'd already been texted by a man who lives in San Francisco that God was already at work in somebody's life in San Francisco in response to what God was doing in our services as we gathered here last Sunday. When we seek God in prayer, we experience God in power. And listen, when we don't, we don't. 
It's just that simple. So I have some good news for you today. If you need God today, you can meet God today. You see, God is more willing for you to come to him than you will ever be willing to come to him. He invites you. He wants you to pursue him in prayer more than you will ever want to pray. If you want to meet God today, you can meet God. Why? Because when we seek him in prayer, we experience him in power. If you need him today as a savior, you can meet God today as a savior. If you need him as a healer, as a provider, as a forgiver, as a reconciler, today you can meet with God. We can call out to him. And that's what Paul is teaching us here about a praying church. That when the church is a praying church, that they experience God in power. Ephesians chapter 3, we've been in a study. We've called it spiritual misfits. What we're talking about in these verses for the last several weekends beyond just about prayer is the principle that God has been on an eternal redemptive mission to redeem to himself his church. People from every tribe, tongue, people, nation. It was never just about the Jewish people in the Old Testament. It was always God's plan to redeem a people to himself from every tribe, tongue, people, nation. A diverse fellowship that would reflect and represent his kingdom. And now God is at work through his church to turn the world upside down. God's unexpected plan to change the world is to use his church, peoples from every walk of life that have come together as one family to join in his mission. And one characteristic of of this church as they are engaged in God's mission is that the church is to be a praying church. And I said last weekend, we're going to talk about three aspects of this idea of prayer. How we pray matters, what we pray matters, And why we pray matters. And last weekend, we talked about how we pray matters. And as we looked at these verses here, we understood that Paul was praying desperately. He was praying humbly. He was praying urgently. He was praying confidently. And he was praying expectantly. And as we as the church pray, that's how we should pray. Let's read it together again and look back at these verses. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. The Bible says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So in the middle of Paul teaching this new group of Christians here in the city of Ephesus, Paul bursts into prayer for them. And we learned last week some things about how he prayed. There should be this desperation and urgency and humility and confidence and expectancy when we pray. 
But now we're going to look specifically at what Paul prayed because what we pray matters. There are two things that Paul began to pray for for these people. And you got to know as Paul prayed these things, Paul deeply loved these people in Ephesus. He had a close relationship with his church. So as we read what Paul is choosing to pray for them, we're reading what someone who dearly loves them desires for them because he knows it's best for them. So two things he prayed. Number one, he was praying that they would experience the power of Christ's presence. Look at it again in verse 16. He says, I'm praying that you would be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. To help you understand what Paul was praying here specifically, I want to give you two certainties about the Christian life, okay? Here's the first one. The only way to live the Christian life is the power of Christ in me. Say that out loud with me. Ready? One, two, three. The only way to live the Christian life is the power of Christ in me. If you believe that, say amen. Whether you believe it or not, it's true. The only way to live the Christian life is the power of Christ in me. Let me be real transparent, okay? My flesh apart from Christ is ugly. My flesh apart from Christ in me is not pretty. And listen, don't look at me like yours is not because yours is the same way. Apart from Christ in us, the way that we live, the way that we act, the way that we... Re- Listen, every moment of every day, I need the strength of Jesus in me. For example, today, one of the, the roles that I have in life is I'm a husband to my wife, Christy. My wife, Christy, and I have a relationship. I'm her husband. She's my wife. The Bible gives us me some instruction about how I'm to live towards my wife. I'm to, to love her as Christ loved the church. Listen, that is completely impossible today apart from Christ in me. Did you hear that? I'm to love her as Christ loved the church. Jesus died. He, he took the sin of the world on himself. The love of Jesus for the church. There's no way I can demonstrate that apart from Christ in me. I will utterly today fail as a husband to my wife if I try in my strength to live what Christianity is calling me to as a husband towards her. But only through Christ in me can I. And listen, that's not just true as a husband. I'm a father to four children. I'm a grandfather now to one granddaughter and another grandson on the way. Amen. Some of you don't even know that yet. I hadn't even said that yet. But they've already let the word out, so I'm not, I'm not blowing something, all right? They already, people know. But I'm a, I'm a pastor. Listen, today as your pastor, the only way, the only way that I can be the pastor today that I'm supposed to be is the power of Christ in me. 
It's not my speaking ability. It's not my relational ability. It's not my leadership equity. The only way today that I can be the pastor that I'm supposed to be is Christ in me. As a friend, as a neighbor, as a co-worker, as a citizen in this country, the only way today I can live the life that this book calls me to live as a Christian is not in my strength, but it's the power of Christ in me. As I make decisions today, as I face difficulties today, as I embrace opportunities today, as I act and react today, in every area of my life, I need the strength of Jesus. And listen, so do you. So do you. And listen, Paul knew that. And so Paul is praying for that. And listen, it's not just that Paul knew it. Jesus also knew this, and Jesus taught us this. Let me show it to you in John 15. John 15, verse 5, verse we're very familiar with here at Hope. It says, I am the vine. Jesus is speaking. I am the vine. You are the what? branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. Now, we've looked at this word a lot of times here at Hope. This word nothing means what? It means nothing, right? But here's what it doesn't mean, okay? It doesn't mean nothing at all because apart from Christ, I can still walk around. Apart from Christ living in me today, I can go through the motions of, of trying to live. I can try to do some things today. What, what, when, when Jesus here says nothing, he's speaking about nothing of eternal significance or value and nothing that pleases God and honors him as my father. Apart from Christ in me, there's nothing I can do that'll have eternal significance today and there's nothing I can do that'll please the father. Why is that? Because the only thing that ever pleases the Father is Christ in me. It's never me in my strength. It's always Christ living his life through me. John Phillips said it this way. Look at this quote. The genius of the gospel lies in the fact that Christianity is Christ. You hear that? Christianity is Christ. Christianity is not what you're doing for Jesus. Christianity is Jesus. Look what he goes on to say. We cannot imitate the life that Jesus lived. That is impossible. As most of us have discovered, right? Just give it a shot. Give it a try. What have we done? We've tried and failed. Christianity is the living Christ taking up his abode in us and continuing to live his peerless life in our human body. So here's certainty number one. The only way to live the Christian life is the power of Christ in me. If you got that, say amen. Amen. Let me give you the second certainty. I have the power of Christ in me to live the Christian life. The only way I can live the Christian life is the power of Christ in me. But here's what you need to understand. You have the power of Christ in you. To live the Christian life. Say that out loud with me. I have. Stop right there. Did you hear what you just said? Let's do it again. I have. Do you believe what you're about to say? Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is a certainty. Let's go. I have the power of Christ in me to live the Christian life. You have it. That's why Paul here says, he says, I'm praying that you would be strengthened through his spirit in the inner man. Here's what that means. The moment 
you and I heard the gospel, fell under the conviction of our sin, surrendered the control of our life to Jesus, by faith believed in him. The very moment you did that, guess what happened? Jesus came to live inside of you in the person of the Holy Spirit. The moment, the moment you put your faith in Jesus, what made you spiritually alive, you had been dead to God. What made you alive spiritually is that Christ, by his spirit, came to live in you. That means this. It doesn't matter if you've been saved five minutes or 50 years. All that God is in the person of the Holy Spirit now dwells inside of you. Listen to what John Stott said about this. He said, it's the power of the resurrection. The power which raised Jesus from the dead. The power that enthroned him in the heavens. The power that raised and enthroned us there with him. That is the power which as it is at work within the Christian. But here's what Paul understood. I only experience that strength and that power as I moment by moment by faith depend on him. That's why Paul said, I'm praying that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Now, you might hear that and think, oh, Paul's praying for him to be saved. He's praying for Jesus to come. To... No, no, no. He's writing to people that already been saved. He's writing to a church. They already had Christ living in them. Now what he's praying is that the power of Christ in them would begin to dwell through them as they moment by moment by faith live in dependence on him. You see, every moment of my life, I have the opportunity to try to live out of my strength or my resources or I have the opportunity by faith to depend on Christ and who he is in me to give me the strength to live the Christian life we said a minute ago apart from Christ you can do nothing right let me show you the flip side of that coin Philippians 4 13 look what the Bible says I can do what oh apart from Christ I can do nothing but I can do what how through him who does what strengthens me here's what that means every moment Every moment of my life, not just when I'm at church, not just when I'm at small group, not just when I'm on a mission trip, every moment of my life has the potential to have eternal significance and value and be pleasing and honoring to the Father if I'll simply by faith allow Christ in me to live through me. Every moment at the job, every moment in your neighborhood, every moment at Walmart, every moment at the grocery store, every moment driving in traffic, every moment you have the opportunity for that moment to be a moment of eternal significance and value and be pleasing and honoring to the Father if you simply live in dependence on Christ. So here's what Paul does. Paul says, man, I, I know it's God's plan. 
He's brought together a people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And God's plan now is to use those people to turn the world upside down. But Paul knew there's no way, there's no way, there's no way in your strength. So Paul says, man, here's what I'm praying first. That you would experience the power of Christ in you. Second thing Paul prays. He was praying that they would know the wonder of Christ's love. So get this. Paul says, man, if you could just know how much he loves you. And you could just experience his power within you. You could turn the world upside down. I love the way Paul prays this. He uses two words. He says, I pray that you comprehend how much he loves you. And I pray that you know how much he loves you. Two different words in the Greek language. The word comprehend means to mentally grasp. It means to learn about by asking questions. The word know is a different word. It's a, it's a word that means to know not by simply hearing and grasping. It's a word that means to know relationally. To know by experience. Let me give you a. A story from my life to help you understand the difference between comprehending and knowing. Now, he's praying both of them. But when I was 21 years old, I was a youth pastor. My wife and I were newly married. And we led a team, a group of students to a winter conference up in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Now, you may or may have never been to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Maybe never heard of it before. When I grew up in the East Coast in the Smoky Mountains, we thought that was a ski resort. Then I moved out here and heard of Colorado and Utah and realized that's just a little hill over there in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. But we would take students up to a ski resort, and they would, we would go to a conference and, and be there for several days. Well, as a part of this conference, we're walking around downtown one day in Gatlinburg and in Pigeon Forge. And one of the, the things that they have there is this, at least they used to, I don't know if they still do not, they had this massive tower where you could walk up to the top of this thing and you could bungee jump off top of that tower. And here I was, 21 years old, youth pastor, newly married, and we're walking down the street. We come into this bungee tower, and a bunch of the students start going, hey, 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 man, if you're a really cool youth pastor, you'd go up there and you bungee jump off that tower. <laughs> well, I got my new bride right there. I got all these students. I got, I got my manhood, I feel like, on the line. And so I'm like, all right, hey, I'm doing this. Let's go. I'm going to bungee jump off this tower. So I go over and I, I, I sign up and, and, and tell them, hey, I want to do this. And they start running me through the, the ringer of what this is about to be. You know, there's a waiver involved. And I'm like, what's the purpose of the waiver, right? I mean, what, is there a possibility this ain't going to turn out well? And so once they laid the waiver on the table, I, they got my attention, right? Now, I, I really didn't think much about it till I walked up there and got the waiver. And then I thought, I need to ask a little bit about this. And so I started asking every question that could possibly come to my mind about bungee jumping, who made that cord, where did it come from, how many times has it been used, has anybody ever come off of it, has it ever not worked out? I mean, I'm asking every, how many times have you done this, how many times have you watched somebody do, every question I can think of and, and, and here's what you do they begin to get you ready and then they walk you up these stairs and you wind up these stairs till you get to the top of that tower and all the way up the stairs man I'm just asking I'm just hammering this guy with questions everything I can think of to when I got to the top of that bungee tower I fully comprehended <laughs> what it meant to bungee jump I had mentally grasped 
but I didn't know it yet. <laughs> so they take this cord, and the way they did it back then, I don't even know if they do it this way anymore. It's probably illegal now, but, but they, they, they attach it to your ankles. And you walk up to the edge of this tower, and you stand there. And they say, okay, when you're ready. <laughs> well, I'm like, if that's a qualifier, this is over. I'm never going to be ready. <laughs> because I fully comprehended what it meant to bungee jump. But when I got to the edge of that tower, everything in my body said, do not do this. I had body parts I didn't even know could speak speaking to me. <laughs> And down on the grounds, this little group of students way down, go, Pastor Ben. And my body's going, no, don't do this. And I knew if I stand here very long, I'm not doing this. So I closed my eyes and I just dove off the end of that bungee tower. And I'm just telling you, <laughs> there is something about falling down off a tower that is unnatural. I thought, I, I may be about to die. It's, it's fast, but at the same time, it's slow. Your whole life just goes before your eyes as you're looking. You're just free fun. You're looking straight down at the ground here. It's getting closer and closer and closer and closer. And you're thinking, it's it. I mean, I'm praying stuff. I'm, I'm confessing sins I've never even committed. <laughs> you get down there to the bottom and all of a sudden that cord, wow, and it jerks you back up. I'm telling you, I thought my teeth went straight out of my mouth on the ground. <laughs> and then you begin to catch your breath again. And now I can tell you, I know by experience what it is. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I want you to know the love of Christ. Yes, I want you to hear teaching about it. Yes, I want you through God's word to inquire theologically about how much you are loved by Jesus. But Paul says, man, I also want you to experience relationally. I want you in your walk with Jesus for what you've comprehended about the love of Christ. I want it to become a reality in your life as you walk with Jesus day in and day out. Paul is praying that you would experience the power of Christ in you and that you would comprehend and know. Listen, if you could just know today how loved you are by Jesus. Paul tells us some things about how loved we are. I'm just going to mention a few of them. He says, number one, Christ's love is an unshakable love. Look at it. He says that you have been rooted and grounded in love. We don't have time to unpack it all, but man, those words rooted and grounded, they speak to a firm foundation. It's something that's settled. Here's what that means. The love of Christ for you is not up for debate today. He's not figuring it out. You've been rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, meaning this, there's nothing you have to do today to earn his love for you. It is an unshakable love. You are rooted. Some of you today, you're living your life in your own strength, trying to perform so that you can hopefully say that, man, God loves you. Here's what I'm telling you. You don't have to perform to earn it. He loves you with an unshakable love. Secondly, Christ's love is an immeasurable love. 
Paul gets into this thing. He says, man, I pray that you'd be able to comprehend what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. It's, it's like Paul said, how much does he love you? He loves you this much, this much, this No, no, no. He loves you this. It's just not a, there's no limit. It's immeasurable. I love the way John Stott described it. Listen to what he said. The love of Christ is broad enough to encompass all mankind, long enough to last for all eternity, deep enough to reach the most degraded sinner, and high enough to exalt him to heaven. He loves us immeasurably, immeasurably. Then finally, he says Christ's love for us is an inexhaustible love. He says, look at it. He says it's a love that surpasses knowledge. It's interesting, isn't it? He said, I want you to know that which you can't know. I want you to comprehend that which is incomprehensible. It surpasses knowledge. Here's what that means. From now throughout eternity, you will be learning about the love of Jesus for you, and you will never exhaust the riches of his love for you. I love the way William Hendrickson said it. Listen to this. This activity of getting to know more and more about the love of Christ begins here on earth and will, of course, continue in the life hereafter. But even in the life hereafter, God will never say to his redeemed, well, now I've told you all there is to be told about this love. Forever we will learn of his love for us. So how we pray matters, what we pray matters. Two of the things we should always be praying for each other, for the church. We'd experience the power of Christ through us and we would know the love of Christ for us. But then that leads to the final thing. Why we pray matters. You see, Paul reveals why he is so passionately praying this for these believers. Remember what Paul has been teaching us. Paul has been teaching us that out of all of humanity, God has redeemed himself a people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. He's made us one family, one body, one church. And now we are living as the church on mission. God is accomplishing his mission through us. And Paul understood the only way that God will ever accomplish his mission through us is if we experience the power of Christ in us and we know the love of Christ for us. And that's why he closes with this phrase. He says, so that you may be filled up to all the, what? Fullness of God. You see, when I begin to experience the power of Christ in me and know the love of Christ for me, I begin to be filled up with all the fullness of God. I asked the team to give me a pitcher of water over here today. And it's full. Matter of fact, it's so full when I step beside it. I don't know if you can see it or not, but it's, it's already beginning to spill over the side. Why? Because it's been filled up to all the fullness. So, so like when I take this and, and, and some of you already go, oh, he's about to pick that up. It's going to spill everywhere. You're right. Because when I pick it up, what happened? It, it, you, you can't even, right? And I mean, you bumped me, right? Why? Because it's filled up. Here's what Paul's saying. As you and I experience the power of Christ 
in us. And as we know the love of Christ for us, our lives become like this picture. Filled up to the fullness of God. You just bump us and guess what? Jesus just... At work, at school. What are we talking about? The mission. How's the mission accomplished? Christ in us, living through us. As we're filled up. Now, it only happens as we experience his power, as we know his love. But then at at Walmart, at the grocery store, at the ball field, at work, driving in traffic, right? You bump us, it just comes out. (laughs) Now, here's the thing. You see, when I got this picture, as I do that, it starts to get a little lower. But here's the reality. Christ is the living water. As we moment by moment depend on him by faith, guess what? The supply never goes away. It stays filled up to the fullness of God. But get this. When you try to live out of your own strength, guess what? There's nothing to draw from. It's an empty picture. Paul says, man, I pray that you would experience the power of Christ. And I pray you would know the love Christ has for you. So that you could be filled up to the fullness of God. And wherever you go, he just accomplishes his mission through you. Let's pray together this morning. Father, teach us. Teach us from your word today. God, give us understanding about what it means to be filled up to the fullness of who you are. As you sit here this morning before the Lord, in just a moment, we're going to open these steps up like an altar. We have pastors here at the front. Listen, we want to we model and demonstrate what it is to be a praying church. Humbly, desperately, urgently, confidently, expectantly crying out to God. And maybe this morning, God's laying somebody on your heart who's a fellow brother or sister in Christ in this fellowship and maybe you just want to come get one of these altars and just pray God would you let them experience the power of Christ would you let them know the love of Christ so that they could be filled up to all the fullness of God maybe you want to come and just get burdened over that for our whole church maybe you just want to come and stand in the gap and cry out to God on behalf of our fellowship Maybe today you're a Christian and you got a burden. Maybe it's something in your job, your health, your family, a relationship, your marriage, your finances. And you need God today. You need him desperately. Listen, when we we seek God in prayer, we experience God in power. These altars are going to be open. You can come. You can lay that burden before the Lord. You can come to one of our pastors who are here at the front and you can join with them and they'll pray with you and for you about what's going on in your life. But you got to seek him. You got you to pray. You got to call out to him.
then finally, maybe you're here this morning and this is all brand new for you. You've never had a relationship with God. You've, maybe this is the first time you've ever been to church. And maybe you feel like you're very far away from God today. Listen, I want you to know something. He loves you. The story of the Bible is that God loves you so much that no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, he sent his son Jesus into the world to make it possible for you to know him and to be forgiven by him. Jesus came and he took all of your sin and all of my sin on himself. And on the cross, Jesus died for our sin. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead as a testimony that God had accepted his sacrifice for our sin. So that now you and I can put our faith in Jesus. And when we do that, God forgives us of our sin. And we get to become a part of the family of God. Jesus comes to live inside of us. If you don't have a relationship with God today, if you don't know what it means to know God and to walk with God and to have God in your life moment by moment, today when we stand to sing this song, you can come to one of our pastors. And all you need to say is this, I I need Jesus or I need God. And we'll have somebody sit down with you and open a Bible and show you how you today can know what it means to have a relationship with God. All you got to do is come. Just come. Just come. Lord, this morning, we ask for your Holy Spirit to move among us. Lord, I pray for Christians that need to cry out to you. I pray for Christians that need to meet with you. I pray for non-Christians today who need to come to know you. May your Holy Spirit meet all of us where we are. And God, would you manifest your presence in this moment? We love you. We worship you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.